Back in the 1990s, I think is when I at least remember uh, these things coming out. They were called Magic Eye 3D Pictures. You remember these? You may not know the name, but uh, that's, that's one of them. It looks like perhaps modern art, um, uh, art that uh, maybe you don't understand, nor uh, would I perhaps. But what was so great about these and pictures like these is that I was told if you just look at it long enough or in the right way, suddenly... What is there on the surface fades away, and what's within the picture somehow comes out. There, it has three-dimensional qualities to it, and it's really amazing. And so if you stared at this in the right way and long enough, you would notice that there's an elephant, and there are trees. It's an amazing picture, and you can Google it and find a photo uh, not unlike this. But what is on the surface often in our world is not always what is beneath the surface, both in people's lives, but certainly in the spiritual realm of the kingdom of God. When Jesus showed up on the scene in Mark chapter 1, you remember what he said? The very first words that the gospel of Mark attributes to Jesus. It says, behold, the kingdom of God is near. Repent and believe the good news. This is the gospel message. The kingdom of God is near. Repent and believe the good news, the gospel. Jesus comes to help us be able to adjust our vision in our world so that when we look around us, we don't just see what's on the surface, but we can see the depth that God has put because his kingdom is here. His kingdom is now on earth. And for those who have entered into a relationship with Christ, this kingdom is intended to become increasingly vivid and more and more real over time. And something that you increasingly and on purpose seek to live in and to draw other people into that kingdom so that they can enjoy the relationship with God that you and I are to enjoy. One day, Jesus was asked, out of all the things that the Bible tells us, can you help boil things down? And you remember his response. We know it today is the great commandment. He said to love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and to love others as yourself. Would you open to Matthew chapter 28? And we're going to take a little tour through this. You might already recognize this passage as the great missions passage, and that is true. It is God's great mission passage. But we're going to start a little earlier, back when the actual resurrection happened. And what happened on that first Sunday, after Jesus had been put in the grave on a Friday, the grave stone had been rolled over, it had been sealed, guards had been placed outside the tomb to make sure the body wasn't taken away, and something happened on that first day before we get to the Great Commission. And what I want you to see today is that it is our worship of the Lord Jesus that compels us to be engaged in mission because we go in mission wherever worship is not happening. We enter a world where there is a void of worship and we do so with mission so that those who are not worshiping are invited into the ability to worship God. And so here's how we pick up. After the Sabbath in these days, Matthew 28, verse 1, after the Sabbath for them that was a Saturday... At dawn on the first day of the week, Resurrection Sunday, this is the very first Easter morning, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to look 
at the tomb. But something happened. Something happened there that Californians are accustomed to. It says in verse 2 that there was a violent earthquake, right? It wasn't missed. It was noticed by the people in Jerusalem. There was a violent earthquake, and those who happened to be at the tomb uh, saw this angel come down, angel of the Lord coming from heaven and going to the tomb, rolled back the stone, and sat on it. I mean, if this isn't a picture of the victory of God with the angel sitting on the rolled back stone, I don't know what is. We're in the middle of football season, and one of the great images for me that, that demonstrates uh, uh, victory uh, especially comes from Green Bay, Wisconsin, and the Green Bay Packers. And if you've ever watched the Green Bay Packers play football, when somebody scores a touchdown in Green Bay at Lambeau Field, that's the name of the stadium where they play, when somebody scores a touchdown at Lambeau Field, when a Packer scores a touchdown at Lambeau Field, <laughs> the home team, they go running through the end zone, and they go to the state, the stands where the, the, the crowd sits, and they jump, leaping up into the stands to the adulation. And it is a pose of victory. They've jumped up. They're sitting up high because something great has happened, and the crowd erupts, and everybody's high-fiving. It's called the Lambo Leap. It is a picture of victory. And this angel comes down out of heaven on that first Easter morning, and he sits on the stone that had been rolled away. And something happens. It's amazing. It says in verse 3 that his appearance was like lightning and his clothes were as white as snow. Now, there were guards placed. These are hardened guards. These were battle-tested guards. These were brave men who had scars from uh, episodes of their life, and they were sent to the tomb to guard it. And what do you think they did? What do you think happened to them when the angel descends? They pass out. They faint. Verse 4, the guards who were so afraid of him that they shook and became like dead men. But not the women. Not the women. Can I get an amen? <laughs> Men, can I get an amen? Aren't we glad for women who help us with courage? These women show up. They're not fainting. They're standing around the tomb. They're the first ones to the tomb. They're the first ones to report that Jesus is not dead, but he's alive again. The guards, these hardened men, they're like dead men, but not the women. The women receive the message. And it's such a great message. In verse 5, it says, The angel said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you are looking for Jesus who was crucified. Now, most of us, I, would be terrified at the sight of an angel descending. In fact, that's Often what you see when angels show up, an angel is a messenger of God. When an angel shows up in the Bible, it's often accompanied with the, the result of fear. In fact, you remember the Christmas story when the angels show up to the shepherds, that they tell the shepherds, do not be afraid. Why? Because I bring you a message of great, do you remember? Joy, a message of great joy. So out of their fear, their fears to be replaced with joy. And that's just what we see with the women here. The angel said to them, the Jesus who's been crucified that you're coming to see, in verse 6, he's not here. He has risen just as he said. Come and see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples, he has risen from the dead and he's going on ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him. Now I have told you. So in response to the angel's appearance, 
Their response is one of fear and joy. Fear mixed with joy. Have you ever felt fear and joy? You, you felt like this is right, but I, I'm scared to step forward into it. This is what these women were experiencing, but they would not be overwhelmed with their fear of all of the events that just took place, but they would be driven by the joy of the risen Christ. It is the risen Jesus who cannot be held in the grave, who rose to to demonstrate and to validate that his salvation on the cross was real and to give those people like you and me who need new life to say and to demonstrate that in him is this new life, that we have the promise of life in him. And then I love what they do. They hurry off in verse 8, and they go away from the tomb, afraid yet full of joy. And they ran to tell his disciples. But suddenly, Jesus met them. Can you imagine the scene? They're running. They're afraid. They're joy-filled. They've got the message. They've peered into the tomb. Jesus isn't there. The angel's sitting victoriously on the rock. On the tombstone cover, he's done the Lambeau leap. He's telling us Jesus has been raised from the dead. We're supposed to go tell the disciples, the rest of us, that we're to go to the certain place at a certain time, and Jesus is going to meet us there. And then all of a sudden, as they're running back to tell the message, Jesus shows up. He's like, hey. (laughs) Now, when the angel shows up, their response was one of fear and joy. When Jesus shows up, their response is worship. That is the appropriate response when we recognize who Jesus is in his crucifixion, who Jesus is in his resurrection, that he is the one deserving of our worship. He is the one who deserves for us to put as the centerpiece and the masterpiece of your life and mine, around which that all of our life becomes oriented, my married life, my working life, my preparing for death life, my retired life, my student at school, high school, middle school, college life. All of my life is to be centered around the risen Jesus. And that's how I worship day after day after day, by recognizing the value of Christ in my life. Greetings, Jesus says to them. And they came to him and they clasped his feet and they worshiped him. Then Jesus said to them, do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee. There they will see me. Down in verse 16, it says, Then the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped him. What's the right response when Jesus shows up? Worship. It's worshiping. It's putting him central and recognizing him, but some doubted. Wouldn't you expect that to be the case? I love the, the reality of the Bible, that it doesn't whitewash things. Not everybody was an early adopter of the resurrection of Jesus. Would you have been? Would you have been more of a lagger? I, I think I would have been. Eh, okay, I don't want to be duped. I know people don't come back from the dead. So there, most of them worship, some doubted, just like you would expect in a normal group of people. Jesus said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And I am with you even to the very end of the age. So Jesus comes out of worship then. When we see Jesus clearly in his crucifixion and his resurrection, we are ready to worship. And as we regularly worship and put Jesus as the centerpiece of our life, It compels us into mission. 
Because mission exists where worship does not, and where worship does not exist, we are called to go and to invite people into the worship of the risen Christ. Can I get another amen? Do you believe that today? Here's what mission is. Yes, this has been rightly the cornerstone of mission teaching for ages. When Jesus talks about mission in another place, the first chapter of Acts, he says it this way. Right before he ascends to go back to the Father, he says, All authority has been given to me, and in not a very long time from now, Jesus says, You're going to get authority from on high. The Holy Spirit's going to come upon you, and this is the reason, so that you can now go and be my witnesses, starting right where you live. They were in Jerusalem, and he says, In Jerusalem, and then Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. So mission always begins right where we are. Missions does not start across the sea, although we are called there. Missions begins right where you live, right across your street. Missions doesn't start when you board an airplane. Missions start when you take a simple step forward to go and engage somebody that you don't know if they yet have a relationship with Jesus. That's where missions begins. And so today, as I wrap up, I want to explain to you a new initiative. Uh, you, you might remember my brother loved Mr. Rogers and his little jingle when his uh, uh, show would open and he would sing, you know, will you be, will you be, will you be my neighbor? I want to invite you today not, not to do anything other than pray. I want to invite everybody to begin praying, to begin praying about the people who live around you. Whether you live in an apartment complex or a condo uh, stretch or a, a, a neighborhood with single-dwelling homes, I want to invite you today to begin to pray about the people where God has placed you. You live there. Some of you have lived there for decades. Some of you maybe for weeks or months. But God has placed you in a particular location, and I want for the rest of this year for us to begin to pray about, not will they be my neighbor, but here's the question that I want you to take to the Lord in prayer, is that God, will I be a neighbor to those who live right around me? Will I learn to love them the way that you have loved me and called me to love them? Will I be, will I be, will I be your neighbor? That's the prayer I want to invite you to be praying. Because I really believe what this church does not need more of are more programs. What I think we need are more people together, but distributed out into our world, carrying the gospel with us. And taking the eyes of Jesus and putting them in your head and being able to look at your world around you through the eyes of Jesus. Is the kingdom really here? If the kingdom is really here, and part of our job is to go on mission because we worship the risen Jesus, and that mission starts right where we live, and it goes off to the edges of the earth, no doubt. We don't go there without while neglecting here, but we don't just focus here and not go there. It's always both and. But here's the challenge for you, is to begin to pray about the people who live right around you. There's a, a graphic that's going to be coming up here in a moment. It shows a picture of, of your home and uh, right where you are. And this is something you're going to be seeing more of. And as we get into the new year, I'm going to be giving you some more tangible tools for what this means, but really, a movement of God has to begin with prayer as we individually, collectively go to Him and seek His work forward 
in us. But he, here's the question for us is, Wherever you live, if it's an apartment or a home, and, and you think about the people, I realize most of us don't live in a square, but you have people maybe above you or below you, or uh, my, my house, our neighborhood is a horseshoe, so it, it's not the picture so much as thinking about the people who are around you. And part of the question I want you to ask yourself is, do I know their names? Do I know anything about them that might inform the way I pray for them? Am I asking the Lord to open up opportunities just to befriend them, to make a connection and, and to start some sort of friendship relationship with them? And as God helps that develop, might I be able sometime to share the gospel with them, to, to give the reason for the hope that I have, to bear witness to the resurrection, but it all begins with developing a relationship with people that is real and is done in love. And you'll be surprised at the ways God might open up opportunities for you. I've uh, shared stories in the past where I've begun to pray for my very next door neighbor. And within weeks, not that neighbor, but a neighbor six doors down began coming. And that neighbor got involved with our men's ministry. And through that men's ministry made a profession of faith. Because it's a collective group activity, right? Evangelism isn't intended to always be a solo enterprise. Where it's just me and this person. It's something we do together. And so I was so blessed to know that the neighbor that I had been praying about, I'm still praying for that neighbor, but God was doing something in someone else's life on my neighborhood, and just the fact that I was praying for that helped me be attentive and, and open and, and looking so that I might cooperate with God, so that I could cooperate with what the Spirit is doing, and I'm attentive to it, and that's what I'm hoping that you guys and us together increasingly will be, so that our dependence on programs over time might decrease, but what will elevate and increase is individual and corporate responsibility to take the church and the gospel and to distribute it in the Brent County, so that five years from now, we're no longer saying that three to five percent of Brent County residents are uh, practicing believers, that in 10 years' time, we might say 10 percent and 12%, and 18% in 10 years, 25% of the county. And people might say 10 years from now, what in the world happened? And we say, I don't know. God did something. It wasn't my clever conversation. It wasn't our strategic plan. But we tried to be available for the Lord to do something. Missions, as we see and worship the risen Christ... We're compelled in missions, but it starts right where we live, in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and then to the ends of the earth. It's, ever, it's all of it. Now, you might live in an apartment complex. You might say, well, I've got 200 people around me. That's okay. Here's the prayer. Ask that God would begin to place on your mind and heart two or three people that you can begin to pray for. You might not even know the neighbor in apartment 201. Maybe that's where your prayer begins. God, I'd love to be introduced to this person. Would you help me be ready for that if I meet her at the mailbox or in the laundry room or wherever it is? There's so many ways to be praying that I might be able to recognize and build relationships with the people right around me. Because I'll tell you one thing is for sure. This is guaranteed. Is that no matter what programs we do in the church, if we're not developing relationships with the lost people around us, those programs don't matter. If we don't, if we don't have relationships with people that we can be engaging and drawing them into. So it's about going out and drawing people in.
It's not just being here and hoping that they come. So this is what I'm hoping. You're going to be hearing more about this. You're going to be invited to prayer. And that's what I want you to be praying about today is won't I be your neighbor? To conclude, I've asked Meg to come. And uh, part of the story, won't you come, Meg? Part of the story, in one way that this has happened, you've heard the story of Joanne, um, somebody that Meg and Rudy met as a co-worker at their business. And uh, Meg was able to share recently about uh, Joanne praying to receive the Lord, largely because Meg and Rudy took an interest in her, developed a relationship with her, and God opened the opportunity to share the gospel with her. Now, the story's not complete. God is still doing things. She and her family have moved back to China, and that's where the story picks up. So is your neighbor only people who live near you? No. Through business, as Bryce said, um, Joanne came into our lives 15 years ago, and she has been on the Tiburon prayer sheet for 15 years. So we've been praying for her, you know, every Wednesday night for that long, plus what we do at home. Anyway, so over the years, Joanne has uh, stayed with us whenever she comes to America for business, and um, we've had plenty of opportunities to bring her here and to witness to her. And it wasn't until this year she came and stayed with us for a month in August. And the last week she was here, she accepted Christ as her Lord and Savior. And she knows what it means. And she's on fire. So when her daughter was born 10 years ago, we gave her a children's Bible. And Joanne, even though she was not a believer, she had been reading the children's Bible to her every night before she goes to bed. And she, they still read it. Well, they went home in August, and uh, Anna was really excited, and she asked her mom if she could take her Bible, her children's Bible, to school for show and tell. So she took it to school for show and tell and gave her a little spiel, and the next day, Joanne got a telephone call from the teacher, and the teacher is like, oh my gosh, this was like magic. You wouldn't believe, like... Two weeks ago, I got my son ready, and we were going to go shopping, and I found myself in a church. And she said, I didn't know why I was there. I just felt drawn, and I was just there. So her teacher wanted to know more about this Bible. So Joanne um, started telling her what she knew. I mean, her knowledge base is not that great yet, but she's really on fire, and she you know, told the teacher more about it. And then about two weeks later, the teacher said, Hey, Joanne, would you come and give a 45-minute talk about faith and God to our students? And Joanne said she was just shaken. She wanted to say no, but she thought, maybe God wants me to do this for him. So Joanne agreed to do it, and uh, we had been praying and praying for her. And then uh, it was supposed to be on a Tuesday, and it got postponed to a Friday. And Joanne shows up, and the teacher actually had invited another class to come in too. So two classes we're hearing this 45-minute talk on faith and God from Joanne. And at first, she was really scared. She didn't know what she was going to share. And she um, said, you know, can I tell them the story about your sons? And, you know, she wrote individually to Rudy and me. And we both wrote back to her and said, yes, you can tell her, but also tell, tell them your story because God has been working in your life. And so she shared all those stories, and she said the kids were, like, amazed. They're, wow, I can't believe how strong and how awesome this God is. Well, the story doesn't end. One of the moms called, like, two days ago, Joanne, and said, 
you know, I Googled God and Jesus, and I want to know more. Can you tell me more? And she's like, yeah, let's meet. And so they're going to go out and meet. And she says, and if I don't know the answers, I know some people who do. So anyway, the story is going on and on, and, you know, the kids are going home, and they're telling their parents, and the parents are finding out from their kids about God, and they want to know, and it's just like wildfire. The flame was started. So God is good. I hadn't heard that last part of the story. Um, summary. Easter. Angel does a Lambo leap. Leap. Men fall down, pass out. Women stand strong. They get a message from the angel to go. They leave in fear but in joy, driven by joy. They go and share with the disciples. They see Jesus on the way. Their response is worship. They tell the disciples when Jesus shows up, worship. As people are worshiping, the commission is given. Go. Go into the world. That mission starts right where you live. That's who we're supposed to be. That's who you in Christ are designed to be. Somebody who goes as an ambassador of Christ to make disciples. Father, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for your good word. We thank you for the way that it is living and active. And we pray this day that you would stir our hearts, that your spirit would stir us, and that this would be a new start of something fresh and new for our church collectively to see your gospel go into our neighborhoods, to go through us, even if we, at the thought of it, we shake in fear. May the joy of the resurrection override our fear because we worship you. We want to see others worship you. Guide us. Guide us right where we live, across the street, all the way to the other ends of the earth. Help us, we pray, Jesus, now, in your name and for your sake. Amen. Would you find your last song on your music insert? Would you stand and let's sing together?